Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Heard This podcast. Today I am joined by Grace Choi, who works in politics in New York. Um, and she also is a community organizer to get people more civically engaged. So today we talk about how she um, got into a career of politics, um, what steps she took, how God really helped her through um, to get her to where she is today. And she also talks to about why it's so important for the Asian American community specifically to be civically engaged and how we can be civically engaged. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy. Hello, Grace. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, just a little bit of background for, for our listeners. Um, Grace and I connected through our mutual friend, Pastor David Park, uh, who was actually a guest on this podcast several episodes ago. Um, but uh, uh, he felt like Grace had Grace was kind of uniquely positioned to speak on a topic. And I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this as well. Um, but before we kind of get into the bulk of that, um, I actually asked Grace to um, kind of walk us through what she does and how she came to do what she does. Because I think it's super interesting. Um, I don't know a lot of people that are in kind of the realm that you're in, Grace. So yeah, if you can, if you don't mind, can you kind of just walk us through um, kind of how you got to be where you are? Yeah, sure. Thanks, David, mm-hmm. <laughs> for having me <laughs> on your podcast. Um, so I am uh, speaking, zooming in from Queens, New York, um, and from Georgia originally and have roots there, have family there still. Um, But how I got from Georgia to New York City, um, it's really God, right? God brought me every step of the way without me even realizing where I was always going. Um, But my uh, position right now is working in New York City politics. I work for um, the New York City Mayor's Office, and I work as the Director of Policy on Mental Health. Hmm. Um, Can I actually ask you a question? Um, I know the, so I'm a, I'm actually a huge Andrew Yang fan, and you know he's running for Mayor of New York. Do you yeah, have- Yeah, election's coming up soon. Do you have a sense of uh, how, how that election's gonna go? Do you have any predictions? You know, you just never know with, um, any elections, right? Presidential elections, we found that you can't always predict the outcome of it too. I think um, the New York election is on June 22nd. There's not only a mayoral election, but city council. Um, So it's a very uh, competitive time for a race during a pandemic. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of candidates running for mayor and you know it's hard to know because voter turnout is part of what is hard to predict during a pandemic a lot of the voter turnout is is better usually during a presidential year like last year and in november because people usually know to vote in november but for what is called a primary where you figure out within your political party, who is your choice candidate? And in New York, they're all Democrats who are running. So June 22nd, I don't know how many people are really aware that there is a mayoral race to vote in. Oh, I see. So turnout will really determine um, the outcome of the race. So I think at this point, they really could be anyone's game. Of course, there are polling um, efforts and experts out there who are making some guesses on where it's leaning, but we still have almost two months out from election day. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I, um, so sorry, I kind of sidetracked you. So That's I, can... fine. I mean, it's really relevant here in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's talking about the mayoral race, people who are in politics, especially. I see. Um, so yeah, can you kind of explain um, what you do um, for the mayor's office? Yeah. Uh, so I work on mental health policy and help shepherd uh, my boss is the first lady the mayor's wife's uh, vision Mm. on um, this the city council level so local 
and then state level, state legislature, and then federal level, which is in Congress and the executive branch, um, the legislative priorities, and then work with all the various um, city agencies. Mm -hmm. New York is huge. It's like its own country. Yeah. Um, so there are, I would say, I don't know, there are dozens and dozens of city agencies from, you know, Department of Sanitation to Department of Parks to um, the Metro system to the schools, the public schools to the hospital system. So there, there's just a, a lot um, of different entities internally within New York mayor's office that I work with in order to carry out uh, my boss's uh, vision um, to support the mental health of New Yorkers. Mm, I see. And I'm sure that was very important, especially this past year with the lockdowns and COVID, right? So, I mean, can you just give us a, a few examples of um, some initiatives that you, you might have led or were part of to carry that vision out? Yeah. I mean, most recently, we announced uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago um, mental health support, telemental health support that we are working with our hospitals and nonprofits on the ground to provide to communities of color. Mm -hmm. So that includes the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, the Latinx community and the Black community. Um, New York is like so diverse. The, the world is really here. Sorry, my keyboard is making a lot of noise. Uh, no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, so that that's one that got recently um, announced and um, my colleagues are working on um, rolling that out and making it available as a service mm. to the various communities. Um, and yeah, I think especially last year, uh, we were worked with a nonprofit called One Fair Wage in order to, um, they advocate for the wages of restaurant workers. And during the pandemic, as you know, with the shuttering of businesses and restaurants, um, the people who work in the front of house and back of house all were really affected. Right. Many folks were left un unemployed. A lot of restaurants had to close. So this was, uh, we did a virtual event with One Fair Wage and the James Beard Foundation, you know, the organization that gives the James Beard Award for like the best foodie place oh, okay. to eat at. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, I think more reputable than the Michelin stars. It's the James oh. Beard Foundation. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we worked with um, them in order to announce the rollout of, um, supporting restaurants in New York City that were affected by COVID-19 mm. um, and to provide um, kind of a model for a fair wage to be given to restaurant workers, yeah, a fair livable wage so that they don't have to just rely on tips in order to survive and that people in the back of house also get um, compensation and a, a living wage that is equal to people in the front of house. And to be, um, more white and more privileged and they make mm. more money than people back of house which tend to be more people of color right. and lower um wage earners within the restaurant industry so um those are a couple of things that uh i've gotten to i've gone to uh, do oh there's actually one really exciting thing i got to do especially as a christian um have you heard of bishop td jakes I think so. so I have uh, an image in my head. Yeah. Uh huh. Go ahead. He's like a televangelist. He's a black televangelist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I know him. Mm -hmm. Based in Texas. Yeah. He's he goes like get ready, get ready, get mm -hmm. ready. That's his um, phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to do a mental health, uh, bringing black mental health awareness. Um, a, a virtual event conversation with him on why it's important for the faith community to um, talk about the need for mental health mm. that you know a lot of times people lean on prayer and prayer is important but just as you go see a primary care doctor to take care of your physical health you should see a therapist or a mental health counselor 
for your mental health too. And there were, um, there's no shame in that. And um, talking about how we can bring both the spiritual component and the mental health and physical components together um, and destigmatize it, especially within the Black community. So I think that was a real honor to be able to lead on that project. And, wow. um, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes, I, I watched him on my TV screen in Georgia growing up. Um, my family was a big fan of like, you know, evangelical charismatic preachers on mm -hmm. TV. And mm -hmm. so it was really cool to be part of that and to do that from the government. Um, yeah, per perspective and standpoint. That's awesome. You know, um, I, I think that's something that's needed in the Asian community as well, because I think we really tend to stigmatize mental health. And that's actually something I've been talking a lot about. Um, I, I went through a lot of anxiety this like past year and I actually like went and uh, I, so I got introduced to a, a mm. Chris, Christian counselor. Um, she's like a pastoral counselor, um, mm. but she really takes mm. um, like spirituality, just like you were saying, spirituality and, you know, actually um, trying to upkeep your mental health together. So like, yeah, I got to, I, I uh, went to her um, regularly and mm. yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend it to anybody, um, especially, mm. yeah, there is that weird stigma amongst Christians too, about like, well, you should be able to rely on God and prayer which yeah. is, is not completely wrong, but you know, there's God, I think he wants us to uh, seek help in, in all different ways, right? Like, and I think, yeah, you're right. It is, it is a little hypocritical for people to say that about mental health, but then um, when it comes to physical health, they have no problems going to uh, uh, physicians um, or like financial health, they have no issues going to accountants or tax mm -hmm. accountants and things like that. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I, I really hope that um, people, anyone hearing this, if they've dealt with any sort of anxiety, like depression or or really anything, um, I think for me, the precursor to my anxiety was like fatigue and lack of motivation. Um, like if I caught the sign early on, I think I could have um, like sought help earlier. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think anybody kind of going through that right now, um, yeah, I, you should definitely go seek help. Um, and it's, it's a totally normal thing. I think uh, mm. we need to stop thinking that it's a sign of weakness. Mm. So yeah, mm. so that's great. Um, do no, you... I, I totally agree with that. And David, I'm so glad you shared that. It's so vulnerable of you. Because mm -hmm. I think not only as Christians is it um, not talked about a lot, but as Asian Americans, you mm -hmm. know, um, I grew up hearing that um, you go to a psychiatrist or counselor only if you're crazy. Right. And actually, it's important to see a counselor before you get to your wit's end. It's preventative care, too. Mm. And I think it's becoming more um, OK and people are more open to speaking about it because this um, COVID-19 pandemic has really um, made it worse for everyone's mental health. For sure. um, it's not normal to be indoors and wear a mask everywhere and not see your family for the holidays and not give like your friends or loved ones a hug that don't live with you. You know, it's it's all very messed up, yeah. you know, and so I also had to continue seeing my Christian therapist um, as well. And I, I highly recommend seeing a counselor, whether they're faith-based or not, because, mm. you know, you go see a doctor for your um, physical stuff. Do you care if they're a Christian or not? No, you just want them to be an expert, mm -hmm. right? On how to take care of your physical health. Yeah. Um, you can also approach mental health that way. But I tend to want to tie in what we were talking about, the spiritual aspect of my health, as well as my mental and physical health. So I talk a lot about my faith and God and spiritual warfare in my counseling sessions. Mm, wow. And I'm, I'm like so much better because of it. Yeah. So yeah. Everyone should really get counseling. We all need it. For sure. You know, um, my counselor, the, on the first session, the thing she told me yeah. was, um, Hey, like, if you're not comfortable with me, like I can refer you to, to other people. Mm -hmm. And cause mm -hmm. what she was saying is, the relationship between counselor or therapist and, and like patient or whatever you want to call it, it, it has yeah. to be like, there has to be like this compatibility um, and yes. you have to feel comfortable enough to open up and things like that. So yes. yeah, I mean, 
really just anyone you can find who you can get to that level of comfort and compatibility. I think um, yeah. um, that that's a step that, oh, I didn't have to take, but I think a lot of people should mm -hmm. think about. I, I don't, yeah. I, I want to warn people against, you know, going to see someone and then having a bad experience that first session mm -hmm. and saying, this isn't for yeah. me. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's many professionals out there that can help you out. So don't give up on your first try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also give your counselor a break. You're, they're not going to know everything about you in one or two sessions. It took mm. me a month to four sessions before I felt comfortable with my counselor and she knew who I was and could, act. in the beginning, it's like, you're just information overload. They don't know who you are. It's like meeting yeah. someone for the first time yeah. and you're sharing your life story with them. And then all the problems that you're going through now. So I do want to share a resource if you don't mind that oh, for people sure. could look up. Mm -hmm. um, there's this organization called um, Asian American um, Mental Health Collective, um, Asian Mental Health Collective. Um, there's a woman named Jeannie Chang, who's Korean American, and uh, she heads it up. But they if you go to their website, you can find in your state who is an Asian American mental health professional that you can get connected with. Awesome. So, I just found it. I'll, I'll link it to the episode oh, great. description. Yeah, Asian yeah. Mental Health Collective. It's mm -hmm. so great. She talks about the trauma that our community is going through as it relates to the Asian hate and violence mm -hmm. and understanding um, how that trauma is, is something we need to reckon with and deal with and get support, mental health support around. Mm -hmm. um, she's really fabulous. That's awesome. And the organization's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so good. Um guys, please listen to us when we say this. Yeah. We're not just saying this. It's yeah. Um it's I, I can I think I can say it's life changing. Um it, it can is. really alter the course the trajectory of your life. So please, please consider this. Um, but I I, I did want to ask you about that that specific event that you led up. Um yeah. so is there any metrics on how to um measure how effective it was like do, do you guys feel like you reached um, from the government perspective or um, just personally yeah from the government perspective so do you have any numbers of like you know how many people either attended or how many people felt like mental health was like destigmatized or, or any sort of metric yeah so everything right now is virtual or mm -hmm. uh, most of it is and it just took place back in november of last year. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to share the the link with you so you can check it out. Okay. Yeah. Chance. Um but we metrics that we use is like how many how many viewers were watching the entire time, right? So people go in and out cuz we Facebook live streamed the Zoom conversation mm -hmm. and the program. And it was about 130 people. Oh wow. That stayed for the entire time to watch it. And that's pretty significant, I would yeah, say, yeah. Um, to watch an hour long program about mental health in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, of course, we put it put it on social media. It got amplified. So there's been a lot more views since then. I can't remember what it is right now. I have to take a look. But mm -hmm. in terms of like uh, metrics on viewership, we have that. And then we see on um, social media comments, like during the live stream, people are commenting and talking about whether it's helpful or not. And we share different mental health resources, both in New York City and across the country. And a lot of the comments were just like, thank you so much for talking about this issue, sharing resources. This is immensely helpful. Um, so yeah, we, that's, that's also the feedback we got from the live stream, like directly. Um, and then we have a, mayor's office um, uh, for Center for Faith and Community Partnerships that does outreach to uh, faith leaders because mm -hmm. we invited all the faith leaders in our network in New York City um, to the event. And uh, we got feedback directly from faith leaders as well saying that it was a really um, much needed conversation. And I mean, Bishop T.D. Jakes has a very honest and um, yeah, just like a very, prophetic voice when it comes to many issues and the way he talked about his own mental health struggle during the pandemic as a pastor mm. i think was refreshing too because you don't really hear that from 
public figures, let alone from our spiritual leaders. Like how many times do you hear about your pastor talking about um, having anxiety and depression and how tough it is to go up and preach on Sundays virtually, you know, mm. um, and saying that we all need mental health support. So um, we got, that's how we collect the feedback. So it's both qualitative and quantitative. Mm. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, that's so great. That's great. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to take a, a step back a little bit. Um, now, now that we know kind of what you do in New York, um, you mentioned yeah. briefly that you are from Georgia. So yeah. I'm curious, right, how a uh, Korean American um, lady from Georgia ended up in like politics, like right in the, in the political sphere in, in New York. Can you kind of walk us through that journey? Yeah. Um, I was sharing with you the other day that it was my oma, right? My mom, <laughs> Korean mothers are forced to reckon with. Um, and I'm so grateful for who my mom is and continues to be. She's a fierce prayer warrior. Um, yeah, my mom is just like really a hero uh, to me. She, um, but when, how I got into politics, I didn't feel like she was a hero back then. <laughs> So um, when I was in uh, when I was in college after my freshman year or during my freshman year in college, my mom saw in the Korean newspaper that you could apply for a White House internship. So she cut it out and put it into put it on my desk every day until I finally like gave in and I was like, okay, Oma, I will apply to this White House internship even though I don't see the point because I have no interest in politics. We have no connections to DC um, and I'm a pastor's kid, a PK. So it's like, what, what is a pastor's kid have any business doing in politics? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really even know what politics was back then too. <laughs> so um, I did it. I got the internship. That's God opening mm -hmm. up that door. And um, that was my first experience doing any internship in college, but it, it was, it, it was at the white house. So what a immense privilege it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out immediately how out of place I was in that space. I was one of two Asian Americans, um, out of a hundred intern class, Wow. hundred percent intern class and everyone else was white. Um, they were all wow. very well connected. This is under the George W. Bush administration. So, um, most everyone was from Texas or connected to Texas. So their parents were senators, Congress members, fundraisers and donors and mm -hmm. oil people from Texas even. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, PK from Georgia, Korean American PK from Georgia. I was like, what is going on here? But that is a summer I learned about Asian Americans in politics. I learned about community organizing. I learned why it's important to be politically engaged and civically engaged as a Asian American. Mm -hmm. And um, it really started from there. So my mom is to blame for me being in politics. Because after that, I, all my other internships stayed in like the political space or in government, it was in government agencies or campaigning for people. Mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, if you fast forward to what I went to grad school in Boston um, to study international affairs at Tufts University, and I was like, oh, I, you know, God put a heart in me, like ma many Korean Americans for the Korean Peninsula and the North Korean human rights issue, you know, mm -hmm. um, the refugee crisis. I was like, oh, God, you're calling me to the Korean Peninsula and maybe I'll become a nonprofit leader. Um, to support North Korean refugees trying to get resettled here in the U.S. Hmm. So that's why I pursued my master's. And then I came down to D.C. to look for a job. Man, it was hard to look for a job in D.C. Mm. Everyone's so overqualified and everyone's so connected. So um, I was interning at this human rights nonprofit for North Korea called U.S. Committee for Human Rights. They hmm. do incredible work, but they had no money. So I was an unpaid intern with a lot of grad school debt um, and a credit card debt. And I was sleeping on my friend's couch because I couldn't afford anything. Wow. Um, 
And I think I slept on like two or three different friends' couches over the course of six months after graduating from my graduate school, graduate school program. Mm -hmm. And then there was an opportunity to uh, work for President Obama's reelection presidential campaign in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad. I was like, why is there a job to work on the presidential campaign when I went to study foreign policy to help North Korean people? So I was like, God, what is this? And then my mom, again, is the reason that um, she was like, uh, you're not making any money. You're sleeping on your friend's couch. You have a lot of debt. Um, this is going to be a great experience for you to work on the presidential campaign, get that experience, make a little bit of money and do something. Just try it out. It's only three months. Mm. So I listened to her wise advice and I did it. And um, I'm so glad I listened because I... I loved working on camp the campaign, mm -hmm. especially for President Obama. And I'm still in politics and policymaking because of my Oma. Dude, that, that's really awesome. Um, so did you before the initial White House internship um, yeah. for, for President Bush, were did you have a different career in mind? Like, were you studying something else um, besides pot like the like, were you thinking that you won't, like, you would be somewhere in, in a different uh, realm? I thought I was going to just go into foreign policy and work on human rights, North Korean human rights issues. Because Oh, even before seen, the internship? Yeah. Have you seen oh. the documentary Soul Train? Mm -mm. I highly, highly recommend mm -hmm. Soul Train, Seoul, like capital of South Korea. It's about the Underground Railroad to get out of North Korea, what North Korean refugees to escape North Korea, go into China, mm. then to Mongolia and to get freedom or through China to Southeast Asia and get uh, find freedom. Mm. In China, they're seen as um, uh, illegal immigrants. So the, you know, their negotiation with the Chinese government, North Korean government is that North Koreans are returned back to North Korea if they're caught in China. Oh, wow. Oh, I did not oh. know that. Wow. Yeah. And then if they are caught, they are sent to a concentration camp, you mm. know, called the gulags, mm. which was modeled after what Stalin created mm -hmm. during the Soviet Union. So it's this like awful, like conditions, concentration camps where these like three generations of your family are affected mm, by wow. you trying to escape the country. So after I watched that documentary, I was like, oh, God, you're putting in my heart to do something for the Korean people um, who are suffering, my people, because my grand, my dad's side is from North Korea, mm. Pyongyang and Rajin Sambong. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I studied international affairs in undergrad. Yeah. So I was like, oh, you know, this is where I'm going to go. So the politics thing didn't make sense. For me at the time hmm. well they're kind of related though i guess right and you know i i'm glad you brought bring that up um something that a lot of people don't realize is i think people think the north korean south korean as two different countries is a lot older than it actually is like mm -hmm. i think people think that um like kim jong-un is like part of a fast lineage but i mean the first dictator of north korea was only his was it his grandfather or great grandfather? Yeah, song. yeah his yep. grandfather, right? So yeah, like there are families, there are people who are um, still alive or like their children yeah. whose families have been split. Um, yes. And, you know, I, I think we forget that sometimes we think um, yes. North Korea is, I mean, there are literally people who haven't seen their um, wives. I, I actually yeah. heard a podcast not that long ago where, uh, a grown lady was looking for her father because he went on a business trip um, to North Korea and like the war happened. And so they never got to uh, reunite, but uh, oh. she ended up being able to meet his like new children, like with the wife that he met in North Korea. So it's, it's a very recent and real thing um, that not a lot of people realize. Um, and, you know, um, so I, I have to talk about this carefully because, um, but, um, there are missionaries um, that I know who work, 
I don't know if they're still in North Korea or, or not. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're, I don't think they were able to go back in. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's like they were, they tell me stories about kind of the living conditions there and um, the ways that they have to do things. It's, it's really, it's really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Like a, a treat, like a meal that's like um, delicious, like yeah. a steak dinner that, you know, when we see steak dinner, we're like, oh, that, this is a great dinner, right? Yeah. Um, for them, apparently it's like rice and potatoes is like a grand meal for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I, I think um, it's great that you have a heart for the, for the North Koreans. Um, so many tragic things and stories there. Um, so yeah, I actually got to visit North Korea when I was in grad school um, as a tourist. And oh, wow. It was very eye-opening. That was when Kim Jong-il was still alive. It was before mm. Kim Jong-un, his son, took over. Oh, wow. When wow. It, I mean, I guess it was better times in an ironic way. His son mm. is a lot more ruthless than his dad. Wow. But yeah, I had an opportunity to go into North Korea for five days. Did they? Because I hear stories about how to they I show. Wish I could go back. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I've I've heard that for tourists they show like a different side of North Korea. Um, did, did you find That's that right. to be true? That's right. Mm, I see. I see. Ugh. Yeah, they show they show um, what you want, what they want to show you. So, mm. but you can kind of see through it too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There were fish markets that were um, open just for us and no one else was there. Mm. Yeah, it's Let's just see. an interesting place. But I know, you know, God loves North Koreans and even the people who are committing ruthless acts towards their citizens, you know, they're all created in God's image, the perpetrators and those who are, you know, victims and... I just pray that there will be redemption and justice and mm. and the P Korean North Korean people and Korean people will be to see that in our lifetime. Yeah. Amen. So um, let's pivot a little bit then. Um, so because you despite so I, I guess we can kind of near the end talk about kind of how um, you feel like um, your uh, calling to the Korean Peninsula will kind of tie in into your future. But uh, I wanted to talk about kind of um, your, so your career is, you know, you, you, your job is working within the mayoral office, but um, you are really a uh, organ, community organizer, right? To um, activate the Asian community, the AP, AAPI community uh, to be more engaged civically. So can we, can we talk on that a little bit um, about yeah. why you feel so let's let's just start from the ground up right let's let's even talk about why you feel like that's a um, that's an important thing why asian americans need to be civically engaged i mean if like the shootings in atlanta wasn't enough of a wake-up call mm -hmm. for why we need to be civically engaged i don't know what will be um it really showed that was really like um national crisis what happened mm. in our state and the fact that it was six asian women um if we want to protect the most vulnerable people and give our community a voice where whether this kind of atrocity happens again or not, we will have ways to support each other within our community and outside of it. We have to work with people you don't feel comfortable with, with government leaders, with mm -hmm. government entities, with within the political system, because politics affects every part of our lives whether you want to admit it or not mm -hmm. right when you see like a traffic light that isn't at an intersection and people enough people have to die and get car accidents or bike accidents for a traffic light to be put there that is a local city council decision that's your local elected official who can determine 
where are the safe places in your neighborhood to put a traffic light so there are less accidents and it's safe for pedestrians and for children. Mm. Um, the quality of your schools in your district is dependent on school boards. Those are elected positions as well. Um, the quality, the, the types of businesses that are around you, the cafes, the restaurants, the grocery stores, your access to healthy food, high quality healthy food, especially high quality affordable healthy food, it's really the government that is allowing for these businesses to be able to open up and to attract businesses to be in your neighborhoods. Oh, so wow. what you breathe, what you eat, mm -hmm. what you drink, where you play, where you worship, like where your churches are, like getting permits for different places, where you learn, it's all because of people in government who are making these decisions that affect our everyday life. Mm. So, I mean, when it comes to the Asian violence and hate crimes and what recently hit our Atlanta community, it's like, come on, y'all, we gotta wake up. We have to learn our allies and work with the entities before us, there are people in government trying to solve our community issues, but if they don't know who you are, they won't know what our community issues are. And therefore our community will be invisible, as invisible as those spa workers hmm. that even our own community didn't even like acknowledge and know about, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, um, yeah, if you're not um, involved in the political process in some way, be civically engaged, either as a, you know, a, a citizen who votes or um, advocates for issues that matter to you, then someone else is advocating on your issues on your behalf without your input. Mm. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with just letting letting it happen as it is? Everything around you that you live in, it's it, it, the, your world is created because there are policymakers and advocates and people who are vo voicing their opinions with their votes, with their voices, and saying, this is what matters to me. So that's why I think it's so important for the Asian American community to be like, this matters to me, this issue matters to me, I'm going to speak up on it. And we're so good at speaking up about like, you know, our faith, you know, and even like the best Korean dramas and food, we are vocal. The Koreans are very loud. I would say mm -hmm. overall, a lot of Asians are very loud, but it's like, why aren't we bringing our loud voices to the public square mm. and saying, hey, on things that matter, like we will also mobilize together, bring power in numbers and say, this is what matters to us. Yeah. So please listen. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm really, I was kind of shocked because you, when you mentioned how like even like the placement of restaurants in certain areas, like the type of foods, um, like the governments have the power to attract businesses or like that, that was, I've never really thought about that, right? Because I think people think that that's just uh, purely a, a mechanism of, of the capitalist society we live in, you know, like the businesses will go where the money is. But yeah, I, you're right. The government has a lot of say and, and power and leverage um, to kind of shape how our community looks. So, wow, that's, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, thank you for sharing that. So, um, yeah, and also just one mm -hmm. example for Georgia is think about the um, Hollywood industry. Why have mm. so many movies and films been um, filmed in Georgia? Georgia's giving a tax break to the Hollywood industry so that we're we're getting their investments and revenue. That's why Walking Dead was filmed in Georgia and so many other movies and films because it's cheaper yeah. than doing it in California. So there are ways that governments incentivize through taxes and other means to bring in certain kind of businesses. Mm. Yeah, or um, keep certain businesses out. Right, right, yeah. And I, I mean, there's a whole. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to get into this, but uh, with Delt with uh, the major league baseball um they pulled out the all-star game from being played in in atlanta because of the the voting law that that passed mm. um so yeah i mean 
that the the way that the government can have even kind of a peripheral effect on, on like what happens around. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in, in terms of um, from what you've seen, do you yeah. feel like I, I don't know if you have any stat statistics on this or not, but are do you think Asian Americans are typically less likely to be, you know, to be voting or like to be voicing their concerns in, in the public sphere? Um. I think compared to other communities, we are less civically engaged, but mm -hmm. we have come a long way in the last decade or two. Mm -hmm. um, every election, more and more Asian American voters are turning out. Mm -hmm. And 2020 was unprecedented of how many Asian American Pacific Islanders came out to vote oh, wow. um, for the president and down the ballot. So I think, you know, it, it, it really is incredible also like how many Asian American elected officials um, came into office last year. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland from Washington State, Tacoma, she's black and Korean. Mm -hmm. She got elected um, last year. So did two other Korean American women from California who are Republicans. Mm. Um, I think it was Michelle Steele Park and Young Kim and um there are a lot of local races where people have gotten elected and i mean in georgia it's really exciting that we have um now four asian american pacific islander state senators right we have zara karen shack shake ramon michelle al and then marvin Lim. and then wow. for state house in georgia we of course have our beloved Representative Sam Park, mm -hmm. who's a dear friend and uh, represents a district in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where I grew up. <laughs> um, and B. Wen, State Representative B. Wen. Um, but there's just like a, a lot of, I mean, is this incredible stuff happening in Georgia with the Asian American vote turning out? Mm -hmm. The Asian American vote turnout from 2014 midterm election to 2018 when i was in georgia i was working for stacy abrams for the governor's race doing asian american pacific islander outreach uh, with the help of the community who's been there working on the ground a lot of great nonprofits. um we turned out the asian american vote by over 300 percent increase oh, wow from 2014 so I mean, it's just incredible, like how many APIs keep coming out to vote. And then in Gwinnett County, where are you in Gwinnett? Uh, I am in Forsyth County. I'm like right oh, at the border. Oh, you're Forsyth. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's not as many Asian Americans there. So I actually think the trend is people are, um, the Asian community is kind of moving up north-ish. So there, there, I think there's kind of a, I don't know if it's like a, explosion stemming from Gwinnett out to the other like counties or not but yeah there, there's actually a sizable amount of uh, uh Asian Americans in Forsyth now yeah I know there's like a sizable Indian population is there a Korean population too I, I think it's growing for sure mm -hmm. oh, okay yeah, yeah but I know Gwinnett is like the biggest slice of the Asian American voter pie mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's where I spent most of my voter outreach efforts um but yeah, it, it's, I would say we are a force to reckon with and we mm. need to continue staying engaged and we need to get more people involved. And I, I'm really hopeful because I just see a lot of people who never thought about running for office, running for office. A lot of mm. people who never voted in their life, voted for the first time last year. I mean, people are, and then now people are going out to rallies and protests and learning how to, who's their city council member, state assembly member, Congress members, senators writing letters, calling them, tweeting at them. I mean, it's just, it's really gotten to another level with mm. this uh, racial justice reckoning our country's going through. Yeah. So um, I know that a big component of being kind of civically engaged is voting, um, yeah. but uh, is there anything else? Like, so, so some of the things you mentioned is, you know, um, like writing to a congressman or a woman or things like that. Is, is there anything else that we can be doing to be more civically engaged? Yeah. So elected officials and members of Congress, they're here to represent you. You are their number one client, mm -hmm. right? Like they're trying to get your support. So 
Um, you should set up a meeting with them, whether it's virtual or in person. You oh, are you? Sense. So I've, I've always been curious about that. Like, are you just allowed to just like reach out to people like that? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so this is an issue, right? Um, the fact that I'm, I don't even know that I can, I'm allowed to contact yeah. them. Like in my mind, I have to do things like write a letter, get it to their assistant somehow. And then their assistant will filter through whatever. And then like, but is it, is it as simple as just kind of reaching out to the elected officials directly? I mean, it really depends on what level of position they're in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you get to like national level, like set senators and members of Congress, they represent even more constituents. So there's more um, incoming requests. Mm -hmm. So it's important to be strategic about your request. You shouldn't go as an individual. You should go as a coalition. Okay. Go as, you know, David Shin from X organization wanting to talk about X issue. Hmm. They want to hear the concerns of constituents, but they won't know about it if you don't come as a group and say, this is this is the number of people we represent and this is what we care about and we want to talk to you about it. Hmm. Um, so there is some like, you know, uh, I guess like savviness you have to go about doing it. Hmm. But for local elected officials, they're they're pretty accessible. City council mm -hmm. members, your school board. I mean, they should be like neighbors in your neighborhood. You should see them around. Probably harder during the pandemic, but maybe easier to set up a meeting um, with them um, virtually. But also attending like city council hearings, you can get to uh, interface with them. You could be someone from the public that like puts out puts a question and wants to testify in front of city council. Um, the other ways you can get involved with civic engagement is uh, joining a nonprofit that's already like really sophisticated in advocacy mm -hmm. and volunteering with them. Like mm -hmm. using your weekend or a one-off event to support X cause that you're interested in. Um, but, but phone calls and letters are always effective. Social media is as well. Um, and, uh, voting, but also after voting, following up and making sure they're staying accountable to what they said they would do when they mm -hmm. ran for office. So that's why that these advocacy organizations are really important as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways where you can just like volunteer and like support um nonprofits that are doing good work in your community that's being civically engaged mm -hmm. um you can also volunteer for campaigns and elections if you are nonpartisan and don't want to get involved with the republican or democratic party you could volunteer to be a poll watcher to make sure the the poll on election day the polls are um are accessible to voters and there are no issues mm -hmm. Um, illegal issues where people are turned away for no good reason, which mm. happens. I've seen it a, a wow. lot in Georgia. Voter cool. suppression is very real in Georgia. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, that's that's great. Those are all. Wow, I'm learning a lot because um, pr prior to this conversation, I in my mind, civic engagement really just meant voting, um, mm. and really just voting for the pre presidential election. Like that's what yeah. it was for me, but. I'm now realizing that, you know, voting even for like local uh, uh, elections is really important because like you said, those are the people like that are in the like in our neighbors um, that you'll, you'll see around grocery shopping, things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, oh, shoot, I, I had a question and then it's escaping. No, me it's fine, but I think a good resource to go to for people who want to get civically engaged mm -hmm. is um, the um, Asian American Advancing Justice, Atlanta, mm -hmm. as local. Um, there's also CPACs. Um, there's a GAP Pack or Asian American Action Fund. Um, and then national organizations, there's an organization called APIA Vote. Okay. And they teach you like 101 on how to be civically engaged as an Asian American Pacific Islander. Mm. Um, New Georgia Project also does great work in voter and civic engagement, and that is um, the nonprofit that Stacey Abrams founded. Okay. 
before she became a state representative. Gotcha. The question came back to me. Um, so for, for Asian Americans, um, off the top of your head, are there issues um, that politically speaking that we should be aware of or concerned about, um, uh, whether it be Georgia specific or New York specific or at the national level? Or is it, do we just always need to be, um, this, despite a lack of issue that pertains to us, we just want to be engaged all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the challenge around that question is that our community, the Asian American Pacific Islander community is so diverse. Hmm. There's like a hundred um, nationalities and languages that are represented under the API umbrella. Right. And so um, I think it makes it challenging because everyone's kind of on a full spectrum of issues. But some of the key issues that came up from last year's presidential um, was uh, healthcare. People really cares about people really care about healthcare. They care about the economy, like mm -hmm. their livelihoods and being able to feed their family and their businesses. Um, and education, having high quality education. I mean, Asian American Pacific Islander communities are very similar to like most Americans, you know, they, mm. they want like high quality education, healthcare, and that their businesses are okay. Um, I, I did see interesting stats on um, a lot of APIs, except for Pacific Islanders, which is really interesting. Um, uh, are for gun control. Gun control was a top issue, hmm. um, which people don't normally think about as an API issue. That is uh, immigration, yeah, and then immigration also. So when people think about immigration, they think about the Latinx community. Mm -hmm. That's the visual you get, you know, a Latinx person. But the um, DACA program and the Dream Pro Dreamers program to um, support undocumented um, immigrants that was really championed by a Korean American, Korean uh, immigrant, an undocumented immigrant mm. who went to Capitol Hill and became like the was actually like the the main reason for that bill to even be introduced. Oh, so, wow. and when you think about undocumented immigrants, many of them are Asian American Pacific Islanders, um, and in the Korean community. There is a lot of undocumented people too, but that's that's a stigma and taboo, mm -hmm. like mental health. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. Um, I, I bet you, those of you guys who are listening, I bet you you know at least one person who's a Korean American undocumented person. You don't even know it. Um, yeah. I, I've known several, and yeah. um, I mean, there it gets, it becomes so heartbreaking. Um, with some of the struggles that they have to go through, like. Uh, even schooling um I, I knew someone who was graduating high school and they were like okay what am i going to do about college like it was like yeah. such a like it's a real thing um that I yeah because you can't get about. fafsa you can't get federal funding because right. you're mm -hmm. not a you're not a citizen but you don't even know that until you have to apply to college and you're like i can't afford full tuition yeah yeah and i didn't even know i wasn't a citizen until i applied to college right yeah yeah and so, yeah, I, I think um, these are all things that we should be thinking about and advocating for. And I, I, I want to say this. I want to say that um, the shooting in Atlanta on March 16th. Uh, wait, I don't even know. I, the dates are all blurring. Um, yeah. But the, the shooting was, uh, I think, for the rest of the world, it was a um, sign that Asian-American racism toward Asian-Americans was starting. But for us in the community, it was just a culmination of a years long struggle of um, dealing with hate crime. Mm -hmm. And I think um, some of that, yeah, I think is on us, right? Because um, we haven't been advocating for our, ourselves as loudly as, as we should have been. Um, so yeah, I, I think if we, if we really want to be, if we no longer want to be invisible, if we want to be seen, if we want to be heard by by the government that's in control of so many things, um, I think we do need to become civically engaged. Um, I mean, Grace gave us a whole list of reasons why we should be civically engaged. So I think um, it's something that we should really take to heart 
and um, also gave, Grace gave us so many great resources on how to be how to become civically engaged. So, guys, I'm really hoping that this is uh, it's really inspired me. Um, so I'm hoping that it'll inspire you guys as well. Um, and Grace, before uh, we're at the hour mark, um, so before we end our time together, were there any last thoughts or comments you wanted to share before before we closed out? Um, it's important for people in our community, the Asian American and Pacific Islander community to know that you matter, you are worthy, mm -hmm. you are valuable, um, you have a voice, you are made to be seen, heard, and known, um, not only by God, um and each other but by the rest of society mm -hmm. so um don't believe in the lies that you will remain invisible and that you don't matter and this struggle whatever your personal struggle is is on your own know that um your life really has so much value mm -hmm. so i just want to leave people with hope <laughs> hope to get through each day um, and that God loves you. I mean, that is what is getting me through each day here in New York. Mm -hmm. I know how immensely my father in heaven loves me and cares for me and is with me and is um, only wants the best gifts for me. And he wants the same for you too. So I, I just pray and hope for a community that, you all um, will feel that. Mm. Amen. That's that's so awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, but I, I did. I was going to ask you. I did say that I was going to ask you at the end. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you mentioned your heart for the Korean Peninsula and what's happening in, in North Korea. Do you have any idea? I, I know right now you're kind of doing something else, but do you have any idea how that might kind of come back in the future? Or do you have any hopes for how that will that um, you'll get Reinvolved in that in the future? I think I saw a slice of that when I worked at the State Department for almost four years under President Obama. I worked in the Global Women's Issues Office um, on women and girls empowerment in Asia. And I got to um, specifically um, address the mental health and support around North Korean defectors in South oh, wow. Korea. Over 70% of North Korean defectors are women who have been trafficked mm. in China, have gone through sexual abuse, assault, and then continue to face it when they come to South Korea and get full citizenship. Mm. So my experiences in government and politics, even now doing, doing mental health policy in the city level, I can kind of see how God would use that in the future. When I see the North Korean defectors in South Korea, mostly women who are um, struggling a lot with PTSD and just like trauma. Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that I, I work on women and gender issues and the defectors are mostly women. And I really believe that North Korean, the North Korean people will be the ones that are leading the, the way forward on how reunification looks like and the future of their country. Mm. So um, I, I hope and pray that God will use all my experiences in not only politics and policy, but um, I, I love doing uh, church organizing and Christian organizing. So I do that with my church. Mm. Um, and I pray that God will use the racial justice and coalition building I've learned uh, across different races and faith traditions to, um, to play some type of role on the Korean Peninsula. I don't know what that's going to look like, but wow. I, I see something like that. That's, that's awesome, though, um, because yeah, that's, that's the great thing about God is even when you feel like you're pivoting away from something like, when he gives you a heart for something, he always finds like a way to like bring it together. Amen. Um, yeah, that's like great. this podcast, giving <laughs> our community a voice that we need. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. If if uh, he'll let it be used as that, then yeah, I'm I'm more than honored 
um, for that to happen. But yeah, Grace, um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, man, this was uh, for, I, I don't really get into the realm of politics on this podcast just because I'm not well, super well versed in it. Um, but um, yeah, I, thank you so much for the fresh perspective and, and something new for us to like really think about something so important that we, I think, tend not to think about. Um, so th thank you for uh, all your input and, and insight. Um, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for me or Grace, um, please feel free to uh, send those questions to my email at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com or uh, comment on Instagram at I hope they hear this. And whatever questions or, or thoughts you have for Grace, I'll make sure um, they get to her. Um, you can see this podcast on on YouTube as well if you if you want to see the video for it. No. <laughs> Why? You, you even have a, a special background and everything. You look great. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, once again, Grace, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.